Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? I'm still working through that communion. Wow. It's great to be together. It's great to be together to worship God and, and uh, to be together to learn from God's word. Let's go to God's, let's go to God in prayer. Father God, as we uh, open our Bibles, uh, be with us, Father. Help us to be aware of your presence. Help us to be aware that you are here in this room and that you know each of us, God. You know our hearts, you know our minds, you know our souls, God. God, thank you for creating us and especially thank you for loving us, God. And thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to sing to you and to praise you and for the confidence and the hope that we have because of our relationship with you. God, help everyone here this morning, those that are visiting, to catch a glimpse of you, God. To be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be inspired to seek you, God, and to be strong in you. Father, help us who are weak spiritually, or even weak physically or sick, to be healed by you, God, and to be strengthened by you. Help us all, help us who are strong in you today, to grow even stronger and to see our call to be a light to the world and to be able to help and love each other, God. God, please bless our time that we study your word. Bless our time that we look into scripture and help us to grow, Father, and to continually grow. As we read your word, as we humble ourselves, as we surrender our will to you, that your will be done. That's our prayer, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for all the prayers. I know a lot of you were praying for me because I was sick and I appreciate it and your prayers are always effective so I want to give you thanks for that and I've been praying and I've also been praying about our impossible prayers I hope that by now you've identified your five impossible prayers and that you're praying for them every day you know I'm excited about mine I'm not going to tell you them but I but I got some pretty big impossible ones so but God is the God of impossibilities amen and I'll tell you next I'll tell you at the end of the year how it went but uh it's always great to be able to turn to God and, and learn from Him. You know, today we're going to talk about love again. All right, we so well, I thought we talked about it last week. We probably could talk about it about three or four months and not cover everything, but um, there's a lot to talk about. And love, you know, the Bible says must be sincere. So I ran across this the other day a while ago. It said, it, it was a letter, and it said, Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I have felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. I don't think that's the kind of love we're talking about. Love must be sincere, amen? It's got to be the real thing. She blew it. There's no recovering from that one. In Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll use this as our launching point, Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians, and, you know, Paul loved the church in Ephesus. He, he, he helped build that church. He helped lay the foundation. He cared so much about them and about how they were doing as Christians, how they're doing as, as disciples of Jesus, how they're doing in life. And he says to them, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power 
together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I mean, what a loaded scripture. You can have your quiet time on that scripture for the next couple of weeks. There's so much in there about how important understanding and knowing God's love is. How important the topic of love is. There's nothing bigger in the scriptures. There's nothing more important. Last week we looked at all the statements about love. It's the most excellent way. It, it, it never fails. It overcomes. The greatest, it's the greatest. The faith, hope, and love is the greatest. It's always on top. It's the sum of all the law, of all 613 laws found in this big, huge book. It's the summation of all of them. And it is the, the most important thing. It is the measure by which we are measured. When God looks at us, he looks at how are we doing, not how, how, how much we go to church, not how much we give, not how much we do this or that, or how good we are at that, or, how, or even how righteous we are. He looks at how loving are we. Are we in love with him, and are we, in love with, and are we loving each other? It is the measure of success for my Christianity. Bottom line is, it's what really at the end of the day matters. Yeah, are there other details that are important? Yes, there are many, many, many other details that are important. But it's really, if you get one thing, it's the one thing you got to get now. So one thing you got to understand about this religion that you're a part of. You're a part of the religion called Christianity. And this is the heart of it. This is how Jesus came. All this stuff that we do and talk about and focus on, it's all pointing to this. That you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that you love each other. It's what it all leads to. He wants us to be rooted. That means your roots are in this. And established. That means you're solid in this. You're solid in God's love. You're solid. You understand it. You get it. You can rely on it. It's what empowers you. We talked about last week how... How love inspires people. You remember the 65-year-old the woman who attacked a mountain lion with a ballpoint pen? Who would do such a crazy thing, right? Or, or the guy who jumped in the water and attacked a 10-foot bull shark, drug it out of the water onto the beach and shot it. I mean, you know that shark was like, what in the world? I'm supposed to be the top predator. I'm the one that everybody fears. And yet he overcame all fear. Why? Because of love. Because he loved his niece and nephew. And love will drive us to crazy things. Love will cause us to sacrifice all of it. Everything. I remember I read a story, a true story. It was supposed to be true. I read it. It, it, uh, it was in a concentration camp in World War II. And it was, the, it was in a Jewish concentration camp. And those were, those were, you know, they're notorious for the cruelty and the horrible barbarism that was committed in these places. And one morning, one of the commanders found out that a shovel was missing. And so he lined up all the prisoners and he said, I'm going to start shooting one by one in the head until somebody 
confesses who stole the shovel. And he went up to the first person, he aimed the gun at his head, and down the row, about two-thirds down the row, a man stepped forward. And of course, they walked over and shot him. Later that afternoon, they found the lost shovel. It had just been miscounted. Why would he do that? Because he loved his people. Because he cared enough to do something. Love changes everything. Love brings light into darkness. You know, there's... I've shared with you how God has given me this terrible tour of the world where I've been to the poorest places in our planet and sat in huts with kids who raise themselves, who fight every day to get food, to not be abused, to not be raped, who have to protect themselves, who have to raise themselves. I've sat with single moms who have to sell their bodies just to get a piece of bread for their kids. And they willingly do it just to feed their children because they love their children. Because they care about, not because of a lapse or a broken sense of righteousness, but because of a desperation. Because they love their kids. I've sat with dads who have wept because they can't buy the medicine that would heal their children. And the medicine's at a store that they could walk to, but they have no money to buy it. And God sees all that. And, 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 and my question is, who cares? Who cares that these children in India in the millions are dying on the streets. Who cared about the little boy who got washed up on the shore in Europe and drowned with his dad? And there's, there's a picture of him and his dad on the beach and the dad's holding him and they're both dead. Who cares? Who cares about the little boy they found washed up on the beach in Italy as a refugee camp who's trying to get to a camp? Who cares? You know who cares? God cares. God cares because he cares about everybody. Because we're all his children. Every color, every race, every background, even every religion. He cares about all of us. Because we're his offspring. Because he created us. And he wants us all to know him. And most importantly, he wants us to know that he loves us. If we know that, it will change us. There's nothing so powerful as love to help set someone free of addiction, to help somebody overcome hurts in the past, to help somebody rise above the world they grew up in, to help somebody understand their role in this world and find our place because we're always trying to figure out who am I, what am I, what's my place, what's my value to clear up the confusion that it's not about how much money you make. It's not about the clothes you wear. It's not about the car you drive. It's not about what you're, how good looking or not good looking you are. It's not about how much education. All those things, education, Training, history, all that stuff. Yeah, it's important and you need money to pay the bills. Even the Bible says money makes the world go around. All that is true. But that's not what's most important. Yeah. 
And yet that is exactly what everybody's chasing. And so many will not figure it out until the day of judgment. And Jesus said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you know what that's a sign of? Uh, it's a sign of what was I thinking? Why didn't I, I? I knew better. I knew Jesus is the truth. I knew the Bible's right. But I didn't take it serious. I didn't obey or, because I was embarrassed. I didn't want to get open. Or I didn't want to ask for help. And that's what a lot of people are going to feel. And so God desperately wants us to understand his love, to be rooted, to be established in it, so that you walk confidently, so that you stand tall, so that you're strong inside, based on him, because you know he loves you. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody but God. You don't have to, you don't have to try to perform or, or, or convince anybody but God. You don't have to fear anybody but God. Because only God is our judge. Only God is the one we will stand before. But we got to understand that. Our biggest problems are between our left ear and our right ear. That's where most of them are found. It's where all the confusion settles in. I remember this story. It was a woman, very high-powered businesswoman. And she was at the airport. She's going to fly home, and she was waiting, and then her, her flight got delayed. So she was, oh, I'll go get a magazine and some cookies. And she got a magazine, got some cookies to eat. She sat down, and she opened her magazine, and, you know, the cookie bag's right there. And so she reaches in, grabs the cookies, she's eating it. And there's a business guy sitting next to her, a guy in a suit and tie. And she noticed out of the corner of her eye, she sees him, he reaches over and he grabs a cookie. And he eats it. And inside she's like, how dare him do that? But she's like, okay, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I'll just ignore it. I'll pretend it didn't happen. But then he does it again. You know, she eats another cookie. And there's one cookie left. And then she sees him do it again. He grabs the last cookie and eats it. And she's like ready to let him have it. But then they start calling her to go to her gate because they're boarding the plane. So she's like, all right, forget it. I'm not going to worry about it. So she gets up. She goes in. She finds her seat. She sits down. She opens her purse. And what does she find in her purse? Her brand new unopened bag of cookies. She'd been eating his cookies. Sometimes we're deceived and we don't know it. Sometimes we get all worked up about stuff and we're totally in the wrong and don't even know it. I don't want to be that person on judgment day. I don't want to wake up and find out I've been deceived all my life. I only get one shot at this. There's no do-over. There's no right rewind. There's no going back. You just go forward. So... The sooner we get it right, the better. And it's never too late. It's never too late. We had the joy and the excitement of baptizing Michelle's 78-year-old grandma. And I was teasing. I was like, man, it's, yeah, that's pretty cool. So I said, that's not fair. You're just getting in right at the end. And I've been doing this all my life, you know. 
and she's got just as much status as I do. That's the way it works. Right? Jesus told a whole parable about that. Doesn't matter whether you start working in the morning or late in the afternoon. Everybody gets paid the same. Why is it so important to understand God's love? How deep, how wide. Why is that so important? Because everything you do springs from that. Everything you do is because either you don't feel loved or you don't understand God's love, you don't know who you are, you're lonely, or you're scared, or you're fearful. It's, it's, what, it's, it's behind all our stuff that we deal with. But the stronger we are in God's love, the stronger we are. The greater our knowledge of God, the greater our lives can be set free. And we can be all that God wants us to be. And I don't mean be like just production. I mean be like joyful, like self-control, like peace, happiness. What everybody's supposedly searching for. This happiness thing. This elusive fruit. Happiness is fruit. You can't chase it and grab it. You chase God, the fruit is happiness. You don't chase the actual fruit. It's what God gives us. Romans 8.31, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about that? Take that to the bank. He's, I mean, have you ever heard a bigger declaration of love? Yeah, I remember there was a, right, when we used to live in, in the New York area and part, part of the New York church, right coming out of the Lincoln Tunnel, there was a billboard that somebody rented, and I don't remember the names, but it was like, like Mary, Ple or whatever, Betty Juanita, whatever her name was, um, you know, please marry me, John. And I thought, man, that's, somebody went all out, you know, bought a billboard and everything. All of us want to be loved like that. All of us want somebody to care about us that deeply. We all want to be loved. And guess what? You are. We are. We are that loved. This is a great declaration from God. This is him sending you the most passionate text you'll ever receive. Of how much he loves you. That nothing will separate you. You say well what about. If we're out in sin. And, and being you know turning our back on God. You could break his heart. But that doesn't stop him from loving you. You can destroy your relationship with him. You can, peel, you can put a wall right back up. Between you and him. You can condemn yourself to hell. You can. That's in your hands. But it doesn't stop God from loving you. Your biggest fan on this planet is God. The one who cares about you more than anybody and never stops caring about you. The one you can always count on when all others fail is God. 
And what does he want? He wants you to have the kind of relationship that no matter what you go through in life, because he knows you're going to go through some really intense stuff, that you can always stop and turn to him and feel comforted, feel strengthened, feel relieved, find peace, find healing, find joy, even in the midst of pain and suffering. He wants you to have that kind of a relationship. And he knows that most people don't have that kind of a relationship. Most people, even people who call themselves Christians, usually have a very superficial relationship. He's somewhere between Santa Claus and, and the aunt who always bought a great gift on, on birthday. You know? I remember we used to, we used to go see my, my Thea who lived outside of out of town in a little house and a bunch of land on Saturdays. And I loved going there because she had a lot of fruit and all those kids would go climb the trees and hang out and eat all the fruit. And, and, and we would visit her and she was really old. She looked like she was about three or 400 years old. And she looked like, she looked like the aunt in Coco, you know, like the grandma. And, and we'd go visit her on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we'd all get dressed up and go to Mass. And it made perfect sense. We'd, we'd visit the old Thea on Saturday and the old guy, God, on Sunday. And both of them, you'd, we'd ask for things. And that was our relationship. Say, well, that's silly. That's a kid's relationship. But how many of us, our relationship is just asking God for things? That it's not really a relationship. We're not walking through this life together. He wants a relationship. Like anybody who loves, if you love your kids, you want a relationship with them. I mean, I think, you know, the years of self-denial raising three kids and the years of working through all the teen problems and preteen issues and all that kind of stuff and the angst and the moments where I was ready to buy a one-way ticket and send them off to Mexico to work the ranch and nights where I'm like, what happened? I thought if I did everything right and we did the bedtime stories and the family devotions and all that stuff, they'd come out perfect people, you know? And working through all that and then having to let go and trust that they have to have their own faith and their own relationship with God and all that stuff that we went through. Honestly, we're beginning to really enjoy the fruit of that. Where we just get to, we love being with our kids. Our daughter's in town right now. We just, I just, I love every minute we get to sit and talk. Or my son called me up yesterday, Dad, I just miss you. I said, I just miss you too. And he's like, we got to figure out, we'll just go to Disneyland again. Okay, we got to figure out when we're going to Disneyland again. He's 23, but we have a blast, you know. We go walk around Star Wars land and pretend we're Jedis. And, and all this, you know, we just have a great time. And, and I'm not saying that we're trouble free, believe me. We have our challenges and we have our pains and we have our moments where we cry. But we, we're, we're, we, we're enjoying that fruit of just loving to be together. That's what God wants. Does that make sense? That's what this is all about right here. Is that relationship that he's trying to build with us. The word I, 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 I mentioned last week. Chesed. I got to drink some water to say it properly. Chesed. This is your Hebrew word. Say it with me. Chesed. Got it? It comes down here. Chesed. All right? It is, in one sense, it is love. 
It's how God identifies himself, that he is abundant in hesed. It's what matters to him. It's used many, many, many times throughout the Bible to describe good relationships and how relationships should be and what he desires of us, this chesed. It's probably one of the best studies you'd ever do if you did a word study. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? You know, people always come to, well, I want to know what this church requires. How many times do I have to go to church? How much money do I have to give? What are your rules? You know, people want, I mean, they don't say that up front, but that's what's in their mind, right? You're wondering, if you're visiting, you're wondering, what do these people want? And he says, okay, let me tell you what the Lord wants, what he requires of you. To act justly, right? To act justly, what does that mean? Justice is if you have two coats and somebody has none and it's cold outside, give him one of yours. That's justice. If you have an abundance and somebody you know is lacking, then share with them. That's justice. That everybody be blessed. That everybody have. God gave us a planet with enough resources for everybody to be taken care of. Why are, why are so many suffering without? Because of injustice. Because of the lack of justice in our world. So he says, practice justice. Then what else does God want? Love, mercy. Well, guess what word the mercy word is? Hesed. Love, hesed. Be devoted to hesed is what it means. Be devoted to loving each other. To taking care of one another. It's what, what do I want? I mean, I tell my kids all the time, the thing I want is that when I die, I want the confidence that they will be there for each other. That if one of them is out on the streets, the others will come and help. They know. You want to make dad miserable? Fight. You want to make dad happy? Help each other. Love each other. And how much more God? And he says, act justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And that, that scripture right there, that's a whole sermon there. We'll get back to that one. For I desire mercy, says the Lord, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Guess what? There's hesed again. I desire that you practice hesed. This is what God wants. I mean, the other one in, in Micah, he says, look, out of everything at the end of the day, this is what I'm looking for. And now this one, he says, look, this is even more important than sacrifice. Wait a second. Who asked for sacrifice? God did. No, wait, wait, what do you mean? You asked for sacrifice. We're bringing this stuff because you asked for it. But what does he really want here? Yeah, you need to do the sacrifice, but what he really is looking for is the relationship. Not just the obedience. Is the obedience important? Yes, Absolutely. But what he really wants is the relationship with you. More to that, coming to a station near you. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show kindness, hesed, and mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. Does anybody remember, anybody remember the scene of this? Joseph, right? When his buddy, who he saved, is getting out of jail, 
And he tells them, you and me are in hesed now. You see, hesed is a relationship. It's a pact. It's a covenant. But unlike a contract, you don't have to sign. You're in it simply because somebody did something for you. Or if you do something for somebody, you're in a hesed. You have deposited into them. And now, this is the debt Paul talked about. The debt of love. You owe each other love now. This is why Jesus said that when he was crucified, the world would be condemned because the highest price of hesed is your life. To give your life for somebody. And Jesus paid that price. So we are all in hesed with him. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we're in it. He's bought that relationship. He paid for it. And Judges 8.35 says, They also failed to show any hesed, or loyalty translated here, to the family of Jerubal, that is Gideon, in spite of all the good things he had done for them. What happened was Gideon was out running around saving Israel, and his family was going to suffer, and they said, look, we owe Gideon. We're in hesed. We need to take care of his family. Because he's done for us, we should do for him. When somebody does for you, you're in hesed. Like it or not. You don't have to sign anything. But show hesed or kindness, translated this time, to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. This is David. David said, look, look, these people helped me out, so we're in hesed now. And we need to take care of them. And sometimes you don't even pay the hesed with the person who helped you, you pay it to somebody else. Or as we would say, you pay it forward. Right? But you don't really pay it forward because before we ever loved anybody, we were loved. God loved us, right? In Psalm 18, we sing about it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His hesed endures forever. And we sing that song, right? Because that's what it is. His hesed, his pact, his covenant with us is forever. It doesn't end. It has no expiration. And you cannot stop it. You say, well, you don't know how sinful I am. You do not have the power to change God. Sorry. You can't make God stop loving you. And God is unchanging. That means he will always love you. His love endures forever, right? Three times he tells them. Once he says, Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees, remember when he went and called Matthew to follow him in Matthew 9? And he called Matthew, wait, now think about it, who's Matthew? He's a tax collector. Is he Jewish? Yes. And who do tax collectors work for? The Romans. He's Jew. He grew up a Jew. What does that mean? He's a kingdom kid. He's a kingdom kid. He's a kingdom kid that went off the rails. He's a kingdom kid in a very bad place. What would cause a kingdom kid to do something that hurts the church? That kid got hurt. That kid got angry for some reason. Something went terribly wrong in their life. Something was wrong with Matthew, clearly. He's hurting his own people. Probably he was an embarrassment to his family. And probably every time the family had a family celebration, 
he wasn't invited. Or if the village had a wedding, or if the village had a party, he wasn't invited. He was an embarrassment. He was a spiritual failure. He was a dropout spiritually, a fall away, a kingdom kid who turned his back on, on God and his people. And nobody wanted anything to do with him. And then Jesus sees him and loves him. And not only does he love him, he says, follow me. He adds him to his team. I mean, usually when we're putting together a mission team to go plant a church somewhere, we don't look, hey, where are all the fallaway kingdom kids? That's not who we usually think of. And so the Pharisees saw that and they're like, does he understand who he's talking to? What a loser. Why would Jesus even reach out to this guy? And Jesus tells them, go find out what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire hesed, love. Stop judging each other love each other you let God worry about what's fair you let God worry about dealing with that you love each other love one another the second time he says it is when he's walking through the fields and, and they're picking wheat and, and they see him and they say oh he's picking wheat this is the Sabbath you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath you're breaking the rules and he turns to them if you had known what these words mean I desire mercy not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. And then a third time. This was the big Matthew 23 chapter. It's the, the seven woes. You know, when somebody starts telling you woe to you, you're in trouble. When their sentence starts out, woe to you, brother. Woe to you, sister. Seven times he says it. And on the last one, he tells them, Woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. He tells them, You blew it. He says, You have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He tells them, You should have practiced the latter. In other words, you should have followed the rules without neglecting this. Blind guides, he said, You swallow... You strain out a nap, but you swallow a camel. You were focused on the wrong things. And they thought, this is my religion. No, it's not. Your religion is loving people. Your religion is loving God. That's what your religion is. Walking with your creator. Knowing him so well. You say, well, I, Robert, I don't know how to do that. Stick around, we're going to show you. Keep coming to church. We're going to teach you. But it starts with you reading and praying and even asking God, help me to know you. Help me not to major in the minor and minor in the majors. Help me to figure out what's really important. Who's he quoting here? He's quoting Micah, right? He's quoting Hosea. Remember? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. This is what really matters. Who are we going to be as a church? What's the vision for our church? We're going to be the people who practice justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. That's who we're going to be. Amen?
Base religion is fear. But mature religion, it's all about love. What does our world need? Love, right? Our world needs to see people who can overcome racial differences, who can overcome past hurts, who can overcome all the reasons we shouldn't even get along and show the world love. Our world needs a people who care like God, who care about those suffering. We're going to have a meeting on March 15th after church. And I'm inviting everybody who'd like to be part of organizing or fundraising or strategizing for a way for us to serve the city of L.A., to make a difference. We're going to love L.A., amen? You can clap that. We're going to love each other. We're going to love God. We're going to love our spouses and our families. We're going to love each other. And we're going to love our neighbors. And we're going to show the world God through our life and our deeds. God bless you.